Hi and welcome back to our DCU special looking at the future of the DC universe. Uh, thank you for tuning back in, really appreciate it and we hope you enjoy the second part of the show. Bye bye. I think setting up that future leads us perfectly into the second hour of this podcast, which I'm going to dub part two of the Age of Heroes. Uh, <laughs> Smooth. <laughs> we, I know that we've had the other solo movies and if we covered those we'd go on for days. So I, I guess we'll keep it within the kind of Snyderverse, if you want to call it mm-hmm. that. But yeah, we're at, well, I guess we've got to talk about the other Justice League then before we get on to the current, what, unfortunately. What, what? No, no, what other Justice League? I haven't seen it. Oh, you never heard? I didn't agree to this, Sam. Yeah. <laughs> you never heard? There was another <laughs> movie called Justice League, apparently, that came out in 2017, a year after Batman vs. There's no Superman. resemblance. Can I... Can I preface this by saying that we all have a degree of shame in our hearts, don't we? Because, <laughs> we do. Because we all came out of that movie and went, fucking hell, that was all right, that was. That yeah, was that was sick. Good. That yeah. was Zack Snyder's movie right there. That was so good. And I think <laughs> I think it probably lasted one or two months. And then Ooh, we started. longer than that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, fair play. Longer than that for me. And, and for you, Sam. We were, we were absolutely kidding ourselves. We were then, suckling on the Justice League teat in 2017. Yeah, how long was it after when Zach just started shamelessly releasing the storyboards? <laughs> and he just started well, basically being like, yep, weren't my movie. The first time the hashtag released a Snyder Cut came out was on like November 22nd. So days after the film came out. That's hey. the... F- hmm. So that's when it all started. And obviously it's been going on for years now. And now we've pivoted onto another hashtag, which we'll discuss in a little bit. Well, two hashtags now. And one for another filmmaker in the DCEU. It's just... going uh, like My experience going into 2017 Justice League, and I'm pretty sure you guys all felt the same way. You thought, BVS just set up this oncoming conflict that Bruce Wayne's got to now figure out how to solve in the wake of Superman and that opens up a hell of a lot of the possibilities of what you can show in a comic book film and I thought we were going to get the Nightmare Future and all sorts of stuff. I, I thought like just because Superman was dead we would get black suit Superman. Like You can't do Rebirth of Superman without the regeneration suit that is ingrained into that arc. It's pretty iconic. Yeah, it's pretty it, Not only like visually, but like it literally has a purpose as to as to why he needs it. I mean, they don't explain that in the Snyder Cup, unfortunately, but which is at least flaw. it has it. I think that is a slight flaw of it. Yeah, that it's not because for anyone outside of the, the comic, uh, the Age of Heroes, as you've just said, <laughs> um, they wouldn't know that. And I think that's probably a flaw is that you know, you could have had, like, the robot ship suggest it or something along those lines. Shit yeah. film writing from me. Um, but, yeah, I, I think I think you're exactly right. Anyway, sorry, I, I digress. Take, carry on with what you No, saying. no, I'm, I'm just saying, like, I think we all felt the same way and we all had similar expectations of what we thought we were going to see and the trailers leading up to it, even though we knew we were aware there was reshoots, but they got shot down as, like, oh, yeah, they, they were nothing. It's just, like, tying up some things, and there's that infamous clip now of Ray Fisher at Comic-Con, like, oh, yeah, the reshoots were brief, if anything, and Jason Mills sat next to him, like, please shut up. The same clip, Sam. Right, and it's such a shame to joke about it, but Ray Fisher's like, yeah, they were brief, if anything, Joss is a great guy. <sighs> I mean, I don't want to harp too much on 
on the controversy of him. We can't not mention it, though. We'll mention it, but I don't think we can get too into you it. Just you don't want to deep dive. Basically. A lot has been said. A lot has been a said. Lot, a lot has been said, exactly. And there's been official investigations into it. And yeah. we suggest you do your own research and respect That's all we'll say on that. Yeah. In 100%. regards to Joss coming on to Justice League as a filmmaker, then, as we said earlier, like DC trying to catch up with Marvel and have that kind of success, this felt very much like them thinking, yeah, we'll just we'll get the guy who made the Avengers films and we'll stick him on to reshoot 80% of this film. Which seemed like a no-brainer at the time. And and similarly, like I know you'll you'll touch on it, but um Danny Elfman coming in and rescoring it, it all felt like a no-brainer. Like I don't know what reality we were living in at the time where <laughs> Joss Whedon was Joss Whedon was brought on to infuse some humor and, and direct some the reshoots. Tone. Exactly, lighten the tone, do a couple of rewrites, and possibly reshoot some scenes possibly at the time and of course unfortunately when zach had to leave the project due to his daughter's suicide which we've now learned was just that was the catalyst but stuff was was brewing under the surface ever since the lukewarm reception to bvs or you know what it wasn't lukewarm it was freezing cold reception to bvs Mm. and Warner Brothers panicked. And I think at the time as a business strategy, when your director was sort of was on shaky ground and you could tell you got him on the ropes, it made perfect sense to bring in a director who's made a couple billion for Marvel to come on, especially considering Joss Whedon has been in Warner Brothers pocket when they were discussing a Wonder Woman film and a Batgirl film and various other projects at the time. It made sense to have this guy come in and, you know, here you go, kid. Here's Justice League. Give it your best shot. And although a lot of blame can be placed on Joss, I do still think it was a hell of a short period of time for him to have to do all these reshoots. The fact that his tone visually and his his tone in terms of writing doesn't match Zack Snyder's and his his skill level doesn't match. It all just obviously it's this re- weird sort of Frankenstein's monster of a film and I think you guys would probably use the same terminology it's it it's a film where you can clearly see the joins and I think that's that's part of the problem and then of course you know ever since then there's been all sorts of accusations against Joss which again we're not going to go into but one of his acts as director when he was brought on was to remove Junkie XL and bring in Danny Elfman, which again, at the time, seemed like a no-brainer. It was like, well, Danny Elfman is well-established in the DC universe. He's been scoring Batman on and off for God knows how long. He created one of the most iconic Batman theme tunes known to man, um, which was carried on through the animated series and and sort of um, it was adapted by Shirley Walker. It just made sense at the time. And then we saw the film. And even, honestly, I remember it like it was yesterday. I, I, I was quite surprised why there, were, why there were still tickets available for the midnight showing on the day. Because I waited until the day. I didn't pre-order tickets or anything. I, I bought tickets on the day and went to the midnight release. So that should have been a red flag. 
I gold then, classed for that. Can you believe that? I paid 20 quid insane. back in 2017, right, to gold class for that movie. <laughs> <laughs> I paid an upgrade supplement of about £4 <laughs> to, to go and see it in IMAX. What um, I will which... say, uh, very briefly, in, in mild defence, and I'm, I'm staring for the look of shock in both of your guys' faces, is that uh, mm. a good friend of mine who's not a massive movie nerd, loves his comic movies, he dives into his Marvel movies massively, he actually enjoyed Justice League more than the others because of the lighter tone. Now, I think all that is testament to is the fact that the tonal difference should exist, right? Not everyone needs to like every single movie. That's just a fact. The fact that he didn't like the two preceding movies, but did enjoy the one that had sort of Marvel humour sort of ham-fisted in, just shows to me that that there needs to be a tone difference so that different people can enjoy But not in the same film. But no, oh, 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 yeah. Let me confirm, not in the same <laughs> film. I, I think that's that's my biggest problem, and I'm sure Sam feels the same way from from like a filmmaking perspective. the The film you're watching should be consistent oh, tonally. I don't need Barry Allen falling into Wonder Woman's boobs. I just don't need it, right? Because it just doesn't work. Also, if you're gonna reshoot a movie, please use the same color palette. Like, I don't need to see such contrasting colour changes. Definitely don't use the same angle as well mm. if you're going to reshoot it. If you're not using... Because it wasn't even the same DP, was it? Fabian wasn't brought no, on I was for the busy reshoots. by the time they got around to that. So, it was not even the same DP. Obviously, Joss... <laughs> the lighting and all that sort of stuff, he, he hasn't got an eye for that kind of stuff in comparison to Zach. So you've got that. So there's literally tonal shifts in the the script. There's tonal shifts visually, like we've already uh, discussed. Like you say, don't try and use the same color palette if you can. Try and use the same sort of color grade, but also don't use the same angles because it made stuff like the brunch monologue, Jesus, <sighs> made stuff like that even more apparent. Plus, not to harp on him, but Ben Affleck was a little more swole in some scenes, wasn't he? Oh, yeah, mm. very much so. I mean, we won't get into the specifics, but he was going through quite a rough point in his yes. life at that time. Yes. And to put it into context, to have him filmed the film we've just got, that Justice League, and then to have to go back and reshoot an entire movie in four months' time while going through all that personal turmoil, it's not the best situation for any actor to come back. And can... oh. I appreciate their professionalism. Yeah, honestly, because they they could have at any point thrown Joss or anyone else involved at the reshoots under the bus just to save their own ass, because they knew that they perhaps wouldn't be portrayed in the best way on film. But they didn't. They remained really professional, and I, I fully respect that. One yeah, I mean, even haven't... in the press things, they say positive things about the experience. Like, sorry to cut you off there, Rob. Yes, exactly. Um, but yeah, th- they still talk about the experience as being positive, and I'm, I'm guessing a lot of that, while they don't say it directly, is a lot of the experience with Zach that they're talking about, as opposed yeah. to Joss. But they still talk about the film, and they promoted it. I mean, I know they've been paid to do that, and it's part of their contract, but they still promoted it in a professional way. So, like you say, yeah. you've got to give them respect for that. What, what are you going to say, Rob? One thing that we haven't mentioned so far is how goddamn good Ben Affleck is as Batman. 
Um, mm-hmm. that, that that's something that yeah, you, you both just nodded and and gave nice uh, sort of hidden hidden looks of glee, so to say. <laughs> but Ben Affleck is is absolutely brilliant, and like you say, Sam, to do it through some personal trauma as well, uh, is is goddamn impressive. Um, my final point on the theatrical cut really is going to be that if like if it comes on now, I'll watch it. You know, I I, I wouldn't. Especially if I was, if I was with friends, I wouldn't cast it to the wayside. Is it anywhere near the same quality of movie as the Snyder Cut? No, not a chance. Simple that for me. I would cast that movie into the fire. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna be real with you. I think if if there was like a theatrical cut of Zack Snyder's Justice League, then maybe. Maybe I would cast it into the fires of hell, but because for all intents and purposes, this is the shorter version of Justice League. If I want to watch a Justice League movie and I've only got two hours, it's not the worst thing to put on. Mm. Yeah. Although you could, but it's not, it's not great. You could do some creative skipping on the four hour version, couldn't you? It's a bit more effort. but it's, it's difficult when you, when you put that four hour cut on, it's difficult to skip around because you just get so immersed in it. But we'll we'll get onto that. Well, I think that's as good a time in any if we're done with Justice League as many have dubbed it. The current state of the DCU then, why we're here. Zack Snyder's Justice League. Let's start out. here. It's a film it. that exists. It's four hours. You could watch the other film in the runtime of this film, which is insane to think. Yeah. And you wouldn't have even touched the surface on the plot in this film yet by the time Love you got it. there. Who wants to dive in on this absolute mammoth beast? Rob, you go. First, first question I want to ask. John, how many times have you seen it? Only twice. Okay, Sam, how many times have you seen it? Four. I've seen it once. Okay, so so that's I thought that'll provide a bit of context. To, I've had a I've had an absolute glance of shame there from John. He's, <laughs> he's clearly disappointed in me. Um, I agree, John. Get him off. <laughs> God, what a movie! You know, you know what a movie. Um, I remember sitting down on on the Friday that it was released. I think I, I think I had a Zoom quiz or something earlier in the evening. I think I sat down about half eleven. I texted you guys to say I was I was starting, and and I powered in. I was gripped. I was gripped from the get-go, but quite literally my body gave out on me about 40 <laughs> minutes in. Um, the next morning, I cancelled whatever I was doing that day. I sat down, I restarted the film from, from the start, and any time my poor mother tried to talk to me, I pressed pause. I wouldn't miss a single <laughs> inch. You know, I was absolutely gripped from, from the get-go. Uh, I, I, could, I could gush for hours about how the visuals particularly, you know, I, I, I've said it before, score is something I unfortunately don't pay as much attention to as you gentlemen. Um, so for me, a lot of it boils down to visuals. The visuals and the sort of, even down to the moves that you see these characters doing the action scenes are reminiscent of the comic books. You know, I've said it before, that Aquaman to me mm. is, is a sequence of some of the new 52 comic books ripped out and put on screen. That's what Zack Snyder does in this movie. The way he has Superman move, the way he has Wonder Woman move, the way they interact, the the personality that he brings out of characters, particularly Cyborg, who he talked about as being the heart of the movie way back in, when was it, 2016? Um, he, he just delivered. 
you know, after years and years of waiting, he delivered. Now, I, I give the movie an 8.5, which, like I've said before, at 9 is sort of where I top out at. Um, it's It still has some flaws for me, and, and I'll probably get into them after I've let you gents get, get some points across. But it, it is an absolute masterpiece of a DC movie. Absolute masterpiece. John? I mean, I, I echo a lot of your points, um, obviously, because we, we all love it. F- for me, it was it was just one of those things where I I, I think deep down, I, I didn't really think we would ever get it. I thought we would get a version of it way back when, if we're talking about the whole genesis of, of the Zack Snyder cut. I thought we would get a version of it. And I, and I know, obviously, it's come out pretty recently that Warner Brothers want, apparently wanted to release it off of Zack's laptop in an incomplete, unfinished form, but he wouldn't allow that, which, thank God, he didn't allow that, because we got a finished product, and it now can obviously replace Justice League to a certain extent, canonically. But for me, I think you quite rightly said, from a filmmaking perspective, it, it's it's night and day. And I don't think anybody expected anything different. There's obviously still naysayers saying that it is the same film. It is the same film. The skeleton is still the same. The story is still the same. The beats are still the same. But to put it into perspective, the first big action scene of Zack Snyder's Justice League, which takes place in the tunnels underneath Gotham, is an hour and a half, two hours into the film. Two hours in. So you've you've had all of that time in Zack's cut to actually get to know these characters, to to have some sort of investment into their motivations. Obviously, it brings us up to speed after the, the explosive finale of BVS. It kind of just, geographically, it just shows you where everyone is, where they are with their skill sets, where they are with their mentality, their temperament, all these things that you've come to expect from Zack Snyder. And, and I think the fact that they released it as Zack Snyder's Justice League is a testament to his vision overall. I only wish they had that kind of blind faith in him years back when, when obviously things started to go bad when it was initially in production. Now I feel like some there's there's a little bit of a shift at, at Warner Brothers and at DC and, and especially with HBO Max. I think there are people who are now in positions of power who weren't before. I do feel like the future is a little bit brighter. And I think just to, again, touch on the whole Zack Snyder thing, the blind faith thing, I, I mentioned it in, in our group chat. The fact that Army of the Dead isn't even out yet and Zack's already got a spin-off series, a prequel potentially a sequel in the works i think that is the kind of environment that zach can really thrive in he shouldn't you shouldn't really try and give him limits because he will always try and push those limits and with zach snyder's justice league it feels much less like a clone of avengers or similar sort of team-up films it feels more like tonally watchmen it feels it feels much grander in scale while also still being really intimate i think you make um you make a really good point there john about 
have the sort of first hour or so in, introduces you to these characters again and sort of points out where they are. I think it also does a really important thing in that it slows the movie down. Like you say, BVS ends, you know, it, it ends on a massive fight scene and then the film's over and that's fine because we we mentioned earlier in the show about how it sort of is jam-packed and might, might need padded out a bit as it was two movies put into one. What it does is it slows you down. It actually gives you time with these characters. It gives you time with Cyborg. It gives you time with The Flash. And what that does is all of a sudden, you, whether you want to or not, you have more of an attachment to these characters. So then when you see the emotional development in Cyborg, when you see Flash's sort of nervousness, but then his adaptability as he moves into it, you you welcome it because you've you've seen these characters now. Yes, it was an hour ago. You know, yes, you didn't get a solo movie in the Marvel mold. We've, we've discussed that as well. But by slowing the pace down, you sort of turn around and say, oh, actually, here we go. I think to, to touch on that, obviously the, the sort of comments and complaints around and criticisms around the Justice League movie not necessarily having all of the solo films leading up to it. The fact that the Justice League movie is four hours long, you get all of that time, as you said, to get invested in these characters so that when you do have the big action set pieces and you have the emotional payoffs it has the same effect as you know vision lifting the hammer in age of ultron it has the same sort of payoff without having to have a couple of films beforehand I'm just like, John raised a good point there like with Zack Snyder and director's cuts, like to put into context there's only Man of Steel and um, is it Legends of Gahul that he did as well that don't have some kind of extended version yeah. and he's even said that the Sucker Punch extended cut that's come out on Blu-ray is not even his director's cut, there's another version of that movie that we haven't seen so I, I like putting that on all of his movies, and Donna Dead doesn't have an extended or does it? Does Donna Dead have an extended cut? It does, has a yeah. cut. So for only two of his movies not to have that, I think that puts into context within the realm of DC that he's been working in. As you say, he's a director that you, you can't put a limitation on him. And even if you need to, doesn't let him do what he wants to do. And then you can go to the editorial. That's where you can take it down. That's where you can scale it. That's where you can refine it. Don't refine it as you're making it. I, I've always like, subscribe to the thing that somebody taught me in college like if you're filming something more is always better than less even if you don't use it always have more and i think Zack snyder feels the same way like when he's made stuff like he he was saying the other week like warner brothers didn't want me to shoot any extra footage of course i went out and did that anyway love that (laughs) (laughs) what guy in his drive in his driveway and he's like he said well, it's Zack Snyder's Justice League. Why is the rules on it? This is this is my <laughs> film, and what he's completely right. But um, on Justice League, then Zack Snyder's Justice League, having the lead up from Man of Steel and BVS into this, like as somebody watching these films, I wanted that consistency in the tone. I wanted it to address what had just happened at the end of BVS, and. Well, and behold, the film opens with Superman's gruesome death at the hand of Doomsday, and it's shot beautifully, and we get mm-hmm. these new perspectives as well from, from Wonder Woman and Batman, and I just think the concept, just harping on that alone, the concept that Superman screams is so powerful, 
that it shakes the mother boxes awake and lets that otherworldly villains know that Earth's protector has fallen. The bell's already been <laughs> rung. Does that concept alone? And they've heard it. <laughs> like, that's the way to open this mammoth film about an alien threat that's coming to take over the Earth. And while it does it's, have... It's like, with with that, sorry to, to no, jump no, no, in, no, no. but with that, obviously, it's it's much more consistent, as you've already stated, with the previous two movies. Not only does it start at the end of the previous film, as BVS did with the end of Man of Steel, but I think it more fittingly sets up the mother boxes and how they were signalled. It kind of clarifies that, and obviously the, the having the shot of Lex in the Kryptonian ship with the hologram of Steppenwolf, having that replicated in the beginning of Zack Snyder's Justice League also does another job at that. But to compare for a second with Justice League, there are two opening scenes to that film. <laughs> One which is the infamous cell phone footage of <laughs> Henry Cavill with his moustache removed, which actually serves no purpose for the film at all. The second is a ridiculously tonally, to- well, tone-deaf scene with Batman and a rubber criminal does he know him doesn't he know him the way they talk to each other it's a bit inconsistent who knows on a rooftop where a parademon explodes and leaves an imprint of three mother boxes on the wall (laughs) with its blood and it's like really like of all the things to cut from the theatrical cut of justice league they they cut something that actually fittingly explains how the mother boxes have been wake awakened and replaced it with this ridiculous scene of of Batman and a parademon on a roof. I just no, don't shake shake's head it in disappointment. Fries my brain. It <laughs> I just fries my brain. The Justice League version is anchored around Superman's return, and it doesn't get developed as much as it needs to be. But it is anchored around him being this beacon that needs to return. And for the film not to open with something that imprints how important it is for him to come back. You need that thing that makes you miss Superman, and this version opens with his death again. You need to have yep. that reminder that he's not there. And you also get a decent amount of scenes with Lois mourning his death, mm. whereas it's just in a montage in Justice League, <laughs> in the opening credits. I, I don't get it. And the whole also another thing with as you mentioned Superman, I don't get what parts of Zack Snyder's Justice League were unusable from Superman's perspective? Mm-hmm. Why did all his scenes need to be reshot? Can, do you have an answer for that at all? <laughs> no, I don't understand why all the stuff at Ken Farm needed to be reshot when all of that is in support of the character, of him becoming... It reaches the same outcome, doesn't it? Yeah, so, all, all that's changed. And the whole point, <sighs> his suit wasn't even black on set. Yeah, his suit wasn't even black on set, so they could have yeah. still used the same footage. They said they didn't want to film it with the black suit because of whatever reason. So Zack Snyder and the production <clears throat> team figured out a way that in post you could grade it back or CG Which I back. I love, and that, that's suit. why the muscles look so defined. Like the muscles are really pale mm-hmm. on the blue suit when you see that in a couple of scenes. Well, in fact, in every scene that they use it in Justice League. It's a different shade of blue. And it's not just down to the colour grading, but that's the reason why, which I think is so clever. 
is it is it Michael Wilkinson? I yeah, think Michael Wilkinson, costume designer. The costume designer, you absolute guys, genius. You guys are like encyclopedia. Like a pair <laughs> I like of what I like. <laughs> for the people even loosely involved in this, you'll know like the third string assistant who runs for the Starbucks coffees in the morning at some point in the future. <laughs> Greg. Um, Greg. <laughs> Great guy. Be a Greg. Sounds like a Greg. <laughs> one, one big thing that I wanted to talk about, and it's not actually something we've mentioned, it's something I've thought about and I've been mulling it over uh, in advance of doing this. Zack Snyder handles the ideas of foreign alien civilizations absolutely beautifully. You know, we see Krypton in Man of Steel and we see that it's it's entirely different to Earth. It's nothing like Earth, you know. Then we get to Justice League and there's a Green Lantern in the history lesson, okay? There's no there's no explanation. There's just one there. It's just, a, how do they describe it? A warrior from a different world or a protector yeah. or something <laughs> like that? Then You want a Green Lantern? Here's your Green Lantern. Yeah. and That's a very Zack Snyder thing to do. But do you know what else I love? We see the ring consider... Dark side. It was obviously that's that's a huge mm. moment for everyone who knows the the, the comic. But then the the other key thing is that ring zips off. You know, there's your setup for whatever for whatever you want. Anyone else could step into those shoes and go and helm a Green Lantern movie. But the line that really sticks for me is that when Steppenwolf says, you know, I think I think in the Justice Cut it's no protectors here, no lanterns, no Kryptonians. I think it's slightly different in snyder's cut but he does say no lanterns no kryptonians now the fact that 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 is subtext for the fact that kryptonians are so powerful that they mm-hmm. are feared even by a guy who owes dark side fifty thousand worlds you know that's a hell of a debt that this guy's got to live up to and he's fearful of the idea of a kryptonian you know so so mm. it just adds just a thin layer to a very, very well-developed sort of sandwich, so to speak, that tells you how much Zack <laughs> respects the Superman character. I also really enjoy, I think you, you said, you uh, sort of alluded to how developed the universe is and how the worlds are and how the characters are. That's something I don't think we've actually touched on, is that, you know, Superman, for example, he's in his 30s when he becomes Superman. Aquaman... A similar sort of... I mean, Jason... Um, oh my God, what's his name? Momoa. <laughs> Momoa. <laughs> I was going to say Moraz. <laughs> <laughs> Jason Moraz is Aquaman. That's a different Jason. <laughs> um, but Momoa, he's also what? He's almost 40, if yeah. not older than 40 right now. And, you know, it's, it's rude to say a lady's age, but Gal Gadot is also... She's no spring chicken. But what I mean by that is that these heroes, they're already well-established as people... They're already fully developed as people, and then all of a sudden they've got this responsibility to be superheroes as as well. Like, and it's it's a really unique angle to take. Whereas, if you think maybe twenty years back, maybe even maybe even fifteen, maybe even ten, you look at a superhero movie, and often their first movie, they're young, they're inexperienced, and towards the end of the film, they become a fully fledged person and superhero so that when the sequel comes around they're pretty much at least at the beginning they're doing what you, what you'd expect them to do as a fully grown you look at spider-man 2 for example mm-hmm. it starts well actually spider-man 3 is probably a better example because he's 
this fully formed superhero at the beginning of the film. Everybody loves him, and he's he can do no wrong. But obviously, his personal life is is fallen by the wayside. I think what you've got is almost a a mirror image of that. You've got these fully developed people. They've got their own lives that they're dealing with. They've got their own issues, but they're they're older. They're more mature. They're not. I don't know. Perhaps they're not as neurotic as as a younger hero would be. Obviously, Barry uh, Ezra Miller's Barry Allen is is the youngest in the group, um, and shares that I suppose alongside Ray Fisher, a cyborg. But for the most part, you've got these heroes like Batman, Superman, Aquaman, Wonder Woman, who are much older, and I just think it's a it's a it's a perspective that I don't think many people have touched on is that they are, like I say, fully developed people first and now they're superheroes and i think i think that actually ties in really well to the two characters you mentioned there john towards the end barry and and vic you know cyborg and flash they carry very different emotional tones to the movie you know we see a barry who is just desperate to desperate for companionship is one thing but then he's also desperate to to achieve something for his dad you know obviously we know that his dad's in prison um it reading between the lines of those who know the comic books it's presumed well he found guilty of murdering the wife that's not actually the case barry wants to prove that on the other side we see cyborg who is so emotionally distant from his from his dad um purely by his dad's design you know so cyborg doesn't distance himself and then he gets effectively turned into a monster you know they are very different emotional turns and it's nice that it's from the youngest characters in the group because we almost expect young people to struggle a bit more with emotional trauma. You know, there's there sort of an unwritten rule and we all know this as we've got older. You do you do get more control of yourself as you grow up. So you wouldn't expect characters like Aquaman and Wonder Woman, who's lived for centuries, to have to deal with those same level of level of emotional trauma when these things happen. However, Barry Allen, who's never really done any official superheroing, just wants to prove that his dad's innocent. And Cyborg, who just wanted to go to college and play football. Yeah. Barry just pushes some people and runs away. He does. Yeah, he does just push people and run away. Well, he does far more than that. (laughs) Well, I guess touching on that then, again, leads into this episode. This, the whole kind of journey across sex is just, is as much as it is a, a journey of, of these characters coming together, it is a journey of setting up more possibilities of what could come in the future and what those films could look like. And we get a taste of what the Flash is capable of at the end of this movie. In I'm like, It's one of the best comic book scenes I've ever seen in, in these kind of movies. And I know we've seen time Definitely. travel and stuff done in various different ways before, but there's just something just majestic about the way this was so creative oh. do you know what i loved most about it is that it barry was emotionally knew. hooked it, it was that barry knew i think that's what i love most about it is that while we're seeing a barry who is he's witty and he's socially awkward and he has got all of these quirks to his character it's also a barry that is clearly a scientist or an engineer to some level and has mm-hmm. clearly also spent time exploring his powers you know we hear him say that he knows he has to eat a load. We hear him say that he generates this thing. And yeah, he's called it the speed force. And he always plays it. He almost, well, he does play on the fact that that's a dreadfully corny name that came about in like the 60s or whatever it was. 
But then it's a Barry that when the moment hit, could first of all speed heal, which came out of nowhere, and then knew instantly, i got to run faster than the speed of light. i got to go way quicker than the speed of light, and I need to go right now. This was a Barry who knew exactly what he was capable of and, and knew that he could do it, had the confidence to do it, as soon as the pressure hit him, and he just went. And the visuals, god damn. Oh, slap me around the face. <laughs> Incredible. Oof. And the score. Obviously, we've spoken about this countless times now. The score by Junkie XL. I wasn't sold on it initially, but when you get to those key moments of the film, it is honestly the most beautiful accompaniment to the visuals. And I don't think anybody could have done it better, to be honest with you. I think he was he was perfect for this particular film. I think, actually, outside of the score, my favourite thing, and I don't know if you guys have noticed, but my favourite thing about that particular scene with Barry is that as soon as the whole the whole city explodes and he enters um, flash time, there's like a scream that he does, almost as if he's he thought maybe he'd been enveloped in, into this blast. Mm. So he does like a scream. Obviously, it's also in, in acknowledgement of his... Um, blast wound as well but there's a way like it's hard to explain but it's it's such a like like not necessarily subtle but it's it's a film moment that i feel like zach is is known for to a certain extent he screams there's an echo in his scream and it's it's a weird kind of echo that you've not necessarily heard before because it's his depiction of flash time and like we said the score is amazing and then the visuals, like you've said, you've got this beautiful monologue that is kind of give not necessarily a monologue, but he's kind of talking to his dad, which is beautiful because it wraps up his character arc for the film. Um, but then you've got this incredibly creative way that the city is fixing itself. It's it's rematerializing after just being blown to shit. And it's so clever. And it really does need to be seen to be believed, because I've not for the life of me, I've not seen anything relating to time travel depict time travel like that not even close and i mean i've I've had a couple of friends ask me you know how is he able to do that just for for those who sort of aren't as deep into the comics as the gents in this call barry's ran faster than the speed of light many many times in the comic it's a thing you know wally west i think it's been confirmed in, in more recent years that wally west who, who becomes the second flash is actually much quicker due to a, a stronger connection to the speed force. Uh, so I'm sure someone somewhere will tell me that's wrong. But Barry's not <clears throat> Barry's not known for doing this like every now and then. He he's aware mm-hmm. of the consequences and he will do it when necessary. And to to just see I'm quite a fan of Ezra Miller, particularly as Barry Allen, I think he's a great choice. To just see his character switch into that mode of for me, that's when he became the flash. Was that instant where he's like I've got to go and I've got to go now. And then you literally see, the, quite frankly, the world rebuilding itself purely because of his power and his use of the speed force. It's, it's just an absolute spectacle to watch. It, 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 yeah, beautiful, I think, is the right word, John, to be honest. Yeah. I just love that the expectation for the entire film is that Superman is supposed to be the hero that would come and save everybody. And it's yeah. not the hero that saves everyone is the youngster that's still figuring stuff out 
and he and like you say, he knows he can do these things. He just is he he doesn't want to go there yet. And then he has that split second decision. It's like either everybody's fucked or I have to run so fucking fast that everybody comes back. And I think and, um, and it's amazing. Yeah, I think you know. Uh, I don't want to sit here and bash the CW shows because all of us have enjoyed them to some extent at some time. Uh, yeah. I think a lot of people's exposure to The Flash is, is through that TV series, which is fine. Mm-hmm. You know, it's good. The more people that watch comic media for me, the better. What that show hasn't ever done is really explore the extent to which The Flash can go to. Um, there's quite a famous panel, Sam, and I'll, I'll send it to you. Maybe you can tweet it out alongside this, where a nuclear bomb goes off in a city and Barry is quick enough to get there and to evacuate God knows how many civilians carrying them in ones and twos in between the time it takes for the explosion and for the mushroom cloud to start enveloping the city. And someone someone somewhere, I'm pretty sure it was on Reddit, worked it out that he was running something like 300,000 times the speed of light. You know, <laughs> Barry Allen, when he hits top form, he's God. You know, that's the sort of level he's at. When he hits top speed, quite frankly, everybody else is stood still. And the world stands still for him. And that's what people get a glimpse of. Because this is a young Barry Allen, casually rewinded time. You know, (laughs) it's beautiful. I mean, there's even hints of his ability earlier in the film, like where he saves the scientists with Victor. There's literally a single frame that somebody's pointed out on Twitter where if you pause it, you can see him admiring his own work while he's saving yeah, these I saw, that, I saw that come up this week, and it, it is brilliant. He's literally stood there with like his hand on his chin, yeah. just sort of literally admiring himself, and that's just small details like that I absolutely adore. I think just to touch on the CW shows, like you said, Rob, the more people who watch comic book media to some extent, the better. If it wasn't for the Flash CW show, it wouldn't have made me read Flashpoint and then um, the the main sort of Jeff Johns rebirth run of The Flash, which are some incredible storylines. And I think um, a lot of The Flash, maybe season one and two to a degree, was a really good TV show. And I think it does a really good job at adapting some of these massive storylines for TV. Um, it's unfortunately fallen by the wayside now. Do do we think that with the Flash movie being in production now, do do we think that Zack Snyder's Justice League is going to be used as canon for that? Well, this is the big question, isn't it? This is this is the podcast. Like, where uh, where are we going now? We've had the journey from Man of Steel up to Justice League, and we've had all the other films in between. What is the next part for the DCU? Because it's very much up in the air at the minute what is happening. I mean, I know we've got this new hashtag, Restore the Snyderverse, which did one point something million tweets or 50 million tweets the other day, which is just... really picking up steam, isn't it? Really going for it. And now the numbers for, I think, HBO app downloads came out yesterday and and it had like, what was it, like a 64% increase in app downloads? Yeah, it's outperforming everything. I mean, this the film came out the same time a new Marvel show came out. And I know... It's Falcon mm-hmm. and Winter Soldier. I not like to shit on them because they are respected characters, but it's a Marvel property and everybody's still hot on WandaVision. Everybody's still lapping that up. And now you've got another Marvel show starting immediately after. It's just endless content. But to have mm-hmm. Zack Snyder's Justice League a film, which many thought 
like to begin with didn't exist and then when it was coming out to think it's going to be shit to outperform everything else that's going on at the moment it begs the question are warner brothers going to acknowledge it and if so how i really hope they do and i think we we probably said this offline all it needs it doesn't even need to be a sincere apology but there just needs to be some sort of public apology or at least an acknowledgement that they were wrong they made mistakes they acted too rash with making their decisions for for projects because the, the fact of the matter is aquaman and shazam still fit with Zack snyder's justice league <laughs> yeah exactly you don't need to make any changes literally the end of Zack snyder's justice league is aquaman going to see his dad mm-hmm. the beginning of aquaman aquaman seeing his dad <laughs> Shazam, I mean, Shazam can kind of exist in its own bubble because of the nature of those characters. And in the grand scheme of things, they're, they're such a small part of this universe as of right now. And the gag at the end, we've spoken about it. Yes, they could easily colour grade or they could, I don't know, bring Cavill on to reshoot that end gag and, I don't know, update it on streaming platforms if they really wanted to. But you could also argue that that's just one of the Shazamily in a Superman costume. And it's just, it, it's a gag. It, it doesn't really need explaining. That's the only thing of, of continuity that kind of raised any sort of concerns for me. But outside of Wonder Woman 84, um, Shazam and Aquaman still fit. And so does Birds of Prey. And from what we can tell from the trailer, <laughs> the Suicide Squad also does. Mm-hmm. I see Rob and his face reaction to Birds you know, of Prey there. Do you know what? There was a point earlier in the show where John said about he can accept changes. And uh, I bit my tongue, but I was going to say I'll never accept. I'm not going to bite my tongue anymore. I won't accept <clears> what they've done to my girl Cassie Kane. They've butchered her, right? That's all <laughs> I'll say on it. Birds of Prey got a lot to answer for, right? <laughs> I just don't. I don't understand why we live in a world where Birds of Prey, let's give it the foot. Birds of Prey and the emancipation of one Harley Quinn got a better reception than BVS or Man of Steel. Like, initially, everyone was really into B- into Birds of Prey, and I just don't get it. Still. We've, we've obviously watched it together since yeah. seeing it at the cinema. Still hurts. And it, it's an entertaining flick. Mm-hmm. But that's about it. Yeah. I mean, to be fair, like in its defense of it, I guess for people listening to this podcast, there's going to be people that don't necessarily like the Zack Snyder DC films. And and again, it's just it's just that thing in it. Everybody has different taste. Mm, so it might just... And it's just that for us personally, Birds of Prey um, didn't particularly appeal to, to what we were yeah. looking for. And it, that's, a, it's, that's a fair point. It's probably worth oh, yeah, saying exactly. as well before we three come across as a massive echo chamber, we disagree massively, <laughs> even amongst the people on this call. You know, our WhatsApp chat pops off 24 hours a day. And it's often it's often like aggressive, borderline violent responses when one person doesn't <laughs> like something the other does. Um, yes, yeah, so it's a sort of looping back to where, where the Snyderverse goes from here. I think The Flash is the big one. Um, mm-hmm. I, I would love to see Cyborg back in. Um, but I, I don't want to see Cyborg unless it's Ray Fisher, quite frankly. 
I think it's he's done an be. absolutely brilliant job. Yeah. For me, they should they be using the Snyderverse to, to springboard off. Because he has given you a flash that has not only showed an incredibly high power ceiling, i.e. do whatever you want, but has also shown you a flash that has a good control over those powers, i.e. you don't need to dumb him down. He can just be in control. Um, and that means you can take your villains as tall or as wide as you want. You can use the rogues. You can use people like Captain Boomerang, Mirror Master, whatever. And you can have him op- effectively operate at a lower speed, in air quotes. Or you could go for reverse flash and have him running against someone who also has the ability to hit those sort of speeds that he does, obviously, in a slightly different way with the power set. But what it's given you is almost a blank slate for what to do with the flash. Now, I think I'm right in saying, is it Kersey Clemens? She's signed back on, hasn't she? Mm-hmm. After yeah. dropping off. Yeah, she's been brought back on. Yeah, so that... She, itself, I mean, she didn't She didn't drop off. She didn't. She didn't drop off, no. She's uh, still involved. Okay. It's only... There was some um, stuff behind the scenes. Right. Okay. Yeah. Allegedly. I mean, just to put with Cyborg context, Ray Fisher did say, I think, literally yesterday, that he had discussions for about a year with... Um, well, I forget his name now. The director of it, who's directing Flashpoint, Andy Muschietti, as, as, as we're going to call it, because it's that's pretty much what they said it's going to be. Um, mm. Each iteration of the script had Cyborg in it, and he was very much deep ingrained into the story. So to have him drop yeah. from the film must have been a pretty hard task in rewriting that script. I read a thread about um, when it was Rick Famuyiwa, Famuyiwa, Famuyiwa. I don't know how to say his, <laughs> his surname. <clears throat> the 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 director of Dope yeah. anyway the the guy who was originally going to be I don't know if he was originally but he was he replaced Phil Lord and Chris Miller I think yeah he was yeah. The, the he was the Comic Con announcement director yeah, yeah exactly um I think obviously with with some of the race bending from from these characters there was going to be a version of the script that discussed uh, police brutality stuff that's obviously very very um topical um and on on point even back a few years back before black lives matter really took off um it was something that was obviously in in everyone's peripherals i guess it's just it was waiting for a project to bring it into into the foreground but the idea of iris being black obviously was wasn't alien to anyone because she's black in the cw show but I think that, as well as um, having Ray Fisher re re um, what am I trying to say? Having him reprise his role as Cyborg, there was obviously going to be that aspect of not only police brutality and how Barry can see it with the girl he loves and also his his team member, but also you've got um, the perspective of how each of them have this sort of disjointed relationship with their fathers. And I think from everything I'm reading, I'm I'm paraphrasing a lot and obviously confusing a lot of details, but I think what the core of that script was, was going to be a really, really important film that just so happens to be a, a speedster movie. Whereas now, like you've already alluded to, Sam, it's it's potentially, it's a Flashpoint movie. Um, but my concern and a lot of people's concerns are that it's going to be a Batman movie featuring the Flash. Because as we all know, there's already two Batman in it. I know 
Michael Keaton has, has come out recently and said that with COVID restrictions and stuff, there's a big question mark over his over his uh, appearance as as Batman. But from for as far as we know, Ben Affleck is at least going to be appearing again as Batman in this movie. So I wonder, and, and my question to you guys is, do you think that they're going to use Flashpoint as an opportunity to soft reboot the DCEU? Or do you think now, with how successful Zack Snyder's Justice League has been, they're going to use it to right some wrongs? I I have a third question to add into that part, which has just popped into my mind, and I personally think it's glorious. Are they going to use Flashpoint to make the nightmare system, the nightmare reality a thing? Does Barry run back in time? and introduce the nightmare scenario that we see alluded to at the end of the film. Well, I think I think I actually I may have asked you this before again offline was that if the Snyderverse didn't necessarily continue they could still touch on and add to the nightmare stuff in the Flash movie. Yeah. My concern is that they do a whole sort of I don't know the the director is popping up in my mind is James Gunn, so I, I feel like maybe like a Guardians of the Galaxy type quick gag just to do the nightmare scene and then be done with it. So they acknowledge it and then just finish it and cap it off for comedic effect. No, that's no disrespect to James Gunn. It's just the first director that came to mind, but I just feel like that would be the worst thing in the world is if they acknowledge the nightmare scene just for a gag. I can't. Do you get what I'm trying to say? I can't see them ever doing it, just because it's not, it's not a sort of universe, in my opinion, that you crush for comedic effect. Because what what we've seen, even in <clears> the, I mean, I don't know how long the the footage of that universe is. It's about twenty minutes, fifteen minutes, probably less than that. Um, mm. it's already shown like a depth to it, like a like a deep emotional depth. Um, mostly one of suffering, actually. So I, I think it would be a, a real shame to crush that with a gag. Where I think the Flashpoint movie's going, again, assuming it's Flashpoint, um, I think the emotional centre will be Barry's interaction with his dad. I think that's I think that will 100% continue to be the theme. Where I think it will end up is, I think, end of Act 1, I think Iris will die. I think that will be its thing. I don't think they'll have him run back in time to save his mum because what we've seen so far is a Barry who's... Not not comfortable with losing his mum, but has almost come to terms with it. You know, it's not a major part of his character. It seems like most of his drive at the minute is to freeing his dad. Free his dad, yeah. Not necessarily to bring his his mum back. So I I think I could see the trauma <clears throat> happening to another character, of which Iris is obviously a main option, and as would be um, I think they've just announced the gentleman who's coming on to play his dad. It was Billy Billy Crudup, was it? I can't think of the name of the guy who's come on. Uh, Ron Livingston. There we go. Yeah, thanks, John. So I do think it's going that way, and I think there will be consequences for it. Now, uh, the more and more I think about it, the more and more a Flashpoint movie that features the Batman in some way, shape, or form could introduce the nightmare scenario as for a, a whether it's a nightmare Elseworlds movie where where the reason Ben Affleck is on the script is because Barry accidentally runs into the nightmare scenario, you know, and then that introduces it and it, as a separate universe almost or a dimension that could be explored. Who knows? I think the biggest thing that the Flash movie could do wrong is by trying to 
by trying to ham fist too much in. There's there was rumours early on back in the day when it was announced the Flashpoint that it was going to feature Gal Gadot and Jason Momoa and it was going to do the Atlantean Amazonian War from the Flashpoint uh, animated movie. I think that would be overkill. I think I think that is a recipe for disaster. It's a recipe for a, a ham fisted, um, over filled movie when really at this point we need a Flash movie that focuses on him. And and maybe a secondary character like Cyborg, you know, someone who, as John put really eloquently, supports the angles that the film wanted to tackle that are important, especially now in, in modern times with the things we've seen in, in the last 12 months. After Suicide Squad, what's the next DC movie? Shazam 2. As in 2016 Suicide Squad or the new one? After after the Suicide Squad, sorry, yeah. After the new after the new one, what's what's next? I don't actually know. I mean, they're they're starting to shoot Black Adam in the next two weeks. They start shooting Aquaman Mm. two in June. I think Shazam two starts shooting in the next two months or so. Uh, And then there was a fourth, and then so this is a really important time now. Then yeah, and then there was another movie that I'm sure they were gonna. What was there was another film? It's escaping my mind. But there's going to be four DC films next year. Apparently, is what I read. Black Adam is July. Mm. Yeah, the Flash is November. Yeah, Aquaman two is December, and yeah. Shazam two is oh, yeah. so, twenty twenty three. Four movies yeah. then. My yeah. worry is so, the Flashpoint movie. I mean, my worry is that they're doing Flashpoint as well. Like you can't necessarily do Same. that story as the first solo film, given what is in the the books is is quite expansive. It's not necessarily all about, um, obviously, going back to save his mother. There's a lot of stuff going on in that world between different characters, uh, and Batman just being one of them. So that's like my one of my worries. Secondly, like I do feel like they are at the moment leaning into using it as a springboard to erase the Snyderverse, which just as a fan of the movies, obviously, as we've covered on the show so far, like I. I don't know why you would use a Flash cast by Zack Snyder and started in the Snyder continuity, if you will, and use him to erase his own backstory, if you will, or beginnings. Yeah, it's, it's really odd, and that's what's my worry, that they would use that as a, as a place to erase those movies. At the moment, we don't know if that's the case, and as I've said, it's very much in the air now with Warner Brothers and AT&T and HBO Max, what the next course of action is i think the next two months are going to be very telling on what happens next so i've just had a quick a quick scan through the the marvelous pages of wikipedia and (laughs) one thing that's popped up is that last month uh angel manuel soto i'm sure i've butchered that name has signed on to direct a blue beetle movie with principal photography Mm -hmm. expected to begin in late 2021 then the other one that sort of has come up even more recently is they've developed an Hour Man movie, or or they're about to. Hour Man, for those who know, is a, a Justice Society of America sort of Silver Age legacy hero. Not one that interests me, to be honest, but could be interesting. <laughs> um, and the other one that's been on the back burner, well, there's two that have been on the back burner for a while, was obviously a Batgirl film was was pinned in for a long time. Uh, Joss Whedon was meant to direct, and, and we, we know recently that it seems like he's stepped away from that. And then the other one is a new Gods movie that Ava DuVernay's been 
connected to for a long time now. And I think she yeah, tweeted... she's in, been developing mm, that for a while. I think she tweeted in December that COVID had given her and her writer's team time to delve into the mind of Jack Kirby, because for those who don't know, he's, he's the guy who created the new gods of which Darkseid is tightly linked to. I'm slightly concerned that we've heard nothing about that yet, because that's mm-hmm. been on development for a long, long, long time. Um, I, I, I do think that DC have sort of, I think they're kind of running out of a continuity idea. I think actually, despite their their opinion towards it, I think Zack Snyder had the, had the overarching continuity idea in his head, and they're now trying to distance themselves from it. And I think the success of Justice League is now making them second guess. Personally, no, I agree. I think to an extent they perhaps should have stopped Zack sooner <laughs> with the way, with the way things are turning out now, they've, they've actually come too far in a way other than using flashpoint as a way of refreshing everything. They've come too far not to use the Snyderverse as canon. And we've spoken about this before. There's, there's absolutely no reason they can't do both. Hmm? So if they don't want to continue, if Warner Brothers don't want to continue working with Zack, then simply do HBO Max s- strictly to streaming with maybe a limited theatrical run and give us the Batman movie, yeah. the Batman and Deathstroke movie, give us the Deathstroke solo movie, give us Nightmare, uh, Justice League 2 Nightmare, and give us the Justice League 3, which is the new New Gods <laughs> type thing, you know? <laughs> Because as as I'm sure you've read the plot outline, guys, Justice League 2 was predominantly going to be set in the Nightmare timeline. And then Justice League 3 was literally all of the armies of God and Man versus Darkseid and his army. And in to, to paraphrase what Zack said, the whole world becomes a Justice League. It's a pretty cool concept. <sighs> who Who wouldn't want to see that? And the fact that they that he'd set up an exhibit to show the and also the storyboards that he hasn't shown leads me to believe that as as is typical of Zack Snyder, he knows more than he's letting on. And I just I'd wishful thinking, perhaps I'd like to think that there are simply contracts being drawn up and there are negotiations taking place before they can actually officially announce something. I re- my gut is telling me that we haven't seen the end of these heroes. As we learned, I think last year, maybe, yeah, it was definitely last year, Henry Cavill allegedly has signed on to do more projects. He renewed his contract with, with DC and he is due to make some more appearances as Superman. So it's definitely not the end we've seen of, the last we've seen of him. Aquaman obviously made over a billion dollars at the cinema. There's an Aquaman 2 on its way. And the we're, we're going to see Jason Momoa as and uh, apparently yeah and a trench movie which no one wants but <laughs> maybe maybe that'll be another thing that they can release on HBO Max I think to it's a long way round I'm going but I think with with HBO Max it's not like it's not like the the stepchild of the DC world because if you you look at the the things that are being offered on streaming platforms now you're getting full blown blockbusters it's just it just so happens that it's not being released theatrically 
I think the the first one, regardless of how I feel, and it actually sw- springs onto something we can talk about. Um, Bright. So that was a Netflix movie that had the budget of a Hollywood blockbuster, written by Max Landis and directed by David Ayer. <laughs> yeah, that is. So that's my segue. My, that's my terrible segue. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> now that I didn't see the pieces slotting into place, <laughs> but when the picture was there, goddamn, that was good. <laughs> no, Damn, but that leads us into that, it. Well, yeah. Now we're at this point where, as a platform, HBO Max has a real opportunity to not only, I guess, redeem themselves, but ca- capitalize on the DC universe. They want to make money. They have all these things at their disposal that they can do. I mean, it's ridiculous. They've, they've released the Snyder Cut, and that's obviously shown goodwill with by doing that. Now you've got the pieces to expand on that and to do it in unique ways. I mean, we're living in this age now where television is is on the same scale as as films, not just in like production value and whatnot, but in storytelling as well. We're in what what they call the golden age of TV now, and mm-hmm. there's so much you can do with that. You can do like a Batman Deathstroke four part series where they're hunting each other down and stuff like that. You can do all these crazy ideas. And now we're at this point where David Ayer is <laughs> toying with everybody in, in fun ways on Twitter, like released Air Cut. That's the next one. And I know Suicide Squad, when it came out, again, like Batman vs. Superman, had a cold reception. But un- unlike Batman vs. Superman, it. it actually met their expectations at a box office level they wanted bvs to make like a billion and i think it made like just short of 900 million which like is crazy because that's still a huge profit like giving mm-hmm. against the budget and whatnot suicide squad i think and then didn't it it's, it broke records as yeah. well bvs did on home release it broke those records and then suicide squad night came out i think it had a smaller budget but it made again like 800 million or so even against all the shit reviews it had which is just like beyond me. So you've, <sighs> well, surely it's because it came after BVS. Mm. So if they'd had faith in this continuity, it's it would have paid off. It's weird. Cause Suicide Squad suffers the same issues Justice League does in a way because that's set after BVS, and again it addresses mm-hmm. Superman's death and the impact of the world around them. And uh, I've read and i don't know if it's true that originally the villain for the suicide school was going to be steppenwolf yeah that's true and then and those weird ink monsters were going to be yeah parademons and he was going to be the main villain and then they would lead that into justice league so again they were trying to set the stepping blocks into these different movies and then for whatever mm-hmm. reason we just got like blue beam in the sky villain <laughs> sadly can as we go into enchantress doing weird dancing yeah here. Yeah, it was a bit strange. As we go into our cut, um, I, I want a, a gut instinct answer from both of you on this. Do you think the IO cut is actually a better movie of Suicide Squad? Yes. Yes. See, I'm I'm not convinced. Now, the reason I'm not convinced is I think David Ayer is brilliant. Right, I've got Fury sat right there, and that is an absolutely incredible movie. I think his directing is brilliant, but he's also been quite honest in saying that he wrote that film in a rush okay david ayer is is many things i don't think he would even himself i think he's actually said it himself he doesn't see writing as one of his top skills um which is ironic yeah right it is now one thing 
I would be concerned about with not concerned about if the AIA comes out, I'd watch it. Everyone knows I would. One thing that I would consider is that is the push for the AIA Cup purely a thing because of the Snyder Cup? Are we seeing the push for the Snyder Cup? We know amongst ourselves and a lot of people listening will. It's produced a different movie tonally, visually, length of time. It's produced a different movie. Is David Ayer now pushing for a cut that will be a couple of minutes difference and doesn't really change the shape of the movie? You know, I think if it was being released on a DVD as an extra, that might be a little different. When it's being pushed for as like its own, to become its own new entity, to become David Ayer's Suicide Squad, like we've had Zack Snyder's Justice League, I think I'm, I'm just not convinced that it would completely change the quality of the movie. I enjoyed the Suicide Squad. I'm not ratting on it. It's certainly got problems. Certainly got problems. And I actually think that based on the numbers we're hearing about David Ayer's version of that film is that there's just not enough that has got lost on the cutting room floor to fix those problems is sort of my opinion on it. Which which means it's even less of a risk, though. Yeah, there is that argument. Certainly so on HBO Max. They don't, you don't even... With obviously Zack Snyder's Justice League, they completely restored the way Steppenwolf looks. With David Ayer's Suicide Squad, as far as I'm aware, you don't necessarily have to restore these creatures to be what they were originally planned to be because that was dropped way early on in pre-production, in in development of the Suicide Squad, unless I'm mistaken, Sam. You'd probably know more than I would, but that whole idea of Steppenwolf being the villain of the final act was dropped before they started filming. Mm Mm-hmm. So I guess all I want to see is the film that was shot, not the film that was reshot. I think the big changes were the Joker's involvement, um, mm-hmm. the amount of sort of screen time he has, and I think there was more interaction between Enchantress and her brother. Is it Incubus? I think his name is, and yeah. it sort of led yeah. it led into a little bit more their motivation, and I think that the the end fight scene after El Diablo has, has dealt with Incubus um, and the, the sort of temptation scenario that she shows Harley. I think that whole, that short section of the film was expanded upon. Um, and I think those are sort of the crucial bits. Um, I actually, I've, I've said it before to, to you guys privately. I think the Suicide Squad has, no, sorry, Suicide Squad, not the Suicide Squad. <laughs> That's going to get bloody confusing, isn't it? I think Suicide Squad has... <laughs> maybe we should just start calling it David Ayer's Suicide Squad now and just see if that <laughs> works. I think it has one of... It, it, it's certainly top three of my favourite visual shots in the DCEU, which is um, Deadshot mounting the car in the alleyway and, and yeah, mowing down love that. an absolute wave of enemies as he sort of really steps into a leadership position in that team. I, I think him... Sam, you'll know. Well, in that moment... Is it a beautiful lie that comes back in? Or is that only used very briefly when Batman shows up? Use it briefly when Batman in my, shows in up. In my memory, All right, I, could my be memory wrong, actually. I think it reaches I, a I really nice... I think it nice... might be in there. It's been a while since I've watched Suicide Squad. Because it goes into slow motion. It's same, yeah. But it goes into slow motion, doesn't it? When he's, he's shooting all the ink monsters and he's on top of the car. I'm fairly certain that the score does sample a beautiful lie from BVS again. And it's a really, really great moment. You're absolutely right, Rob. It's a film made up of really great moments that's bogged down by this forced humour. And and there's other stuff, like 
it came out recently, I'm sure, about Killer Croc's BET joke. I'm not going to say who was responsible for that, but that's what he asks for, is to have BET in his cell. Which is just, it's such a, a tone-deaf suggestion. Yeah. I'm going mean, to get... Google who said that. No, I, <laughs> I mean, I guess for me, with... I'm not going to say on here who's no, involved. don't say it on here. <laughs> I guess for me, with the A-cut, the thing I would, if it is a possibility, I mean, they've kind of shot themselves in the foot recently by saying, oh, we won't be developing David A's cut. Oh, so it exists then. It's a thing that you've <clears> got somewhere. So that's just one part. But I guess what I wouldn't see is that it's it's notoriously known that the film was edited by the trailer people who yeah. who edited the film. And I know they were just getting paid to do a job, so like no disrespect to, to the actual editors behind the film, but to have a company that primarily edits film trailers take on film editing like, as a whole. It's a very different very thing. different art form in itself. Diff- it's just you can't even get into the descriptions, but it's different. I would want to see just Suicide Squad edited in in the fashion that David A probably would have intended it to be like. Yeah, more like a a real film, <laughs> because if if you look at the first Comic Con trailer for Suicide Squad, it looked amazing. The tone oh. was amazing, the visuals were amazing. This was obviously before majority of the CGI and stuff was put, so a lot of the stuff was practical. A lot of the shots you're seeing were from in the camera. And that Suicide Squad, I would I would pay happily to see. The Suicide Squad movie we got, obviously, was an amalgamation of lots of different ideas. Not all good. I do think that we've we kind of touched on it before. Is that the Suicide Squad movie we saw in the cinema wasn't as bastardized as Joss Whedon's Justice League, but still tonally there's obviously a massive shift and it, it's not just the editing and the, and the visuals like the character cards that you see and the the soundtrack choices because it, it's it's as, as it's all tonally as well and it's down to the characters it's it's a weird one to to be discussing to be honest because there's so few details that have come out about it like we feel like we know a bit but with Zack snyder's justice league when he did SnyderCon. He basically laid it all out on the table and said all the things that were going to happen in his movie and in the subsequent movies should he have the ability to complete his vision. Whereas with David Ayer, he's obviously remained pretty tight-lipped on the subject, which is why it's so surprising that he's recently come out and started touching on it in, in interviews. Because he, he, I think, I guess, because it happened and Zach's vision was so successful... Perhaps he's kind of changed his tune a little. And I don't think he has any projects coming up with um with Warner Brothers. So maybe, I don't know, maybe he's... The th- actually, the thing with David A is that he's done a lot of work with Warner Brothers. His first like big movie was Training Day. He wrote the yeah. script for... And I'm pretty sure that's a Warner Brothers film. So I don't know. Maybe he's not on their payroll anymore. And maybe he's starting to... He can speak up now because he's he doesn't have an NDA. He's a really he's a really interesting guy, actually, David Ayer, I find, because he's he's mm. got to be one of the most passionate people. When I hear him speak about his projects, he's he's so passionate and he, he almost ingrains himself in the, the sort of the culture or so to speak around what he's he's writing or producing a movie around. The one the one thing for me, and it's annoying because it's really slipped my mind, so I'll have to think about ah, this is what I was gonna say. I think 
Suicide Squad movies will always struggle. I think they will always struggle. We've spoken this week about how Sam, you're probably the only person who hasn't mentioned it. I know me and John agree on this. The trailer for The Suicide Squad has dropped this week and it, it doesn't attract me whatsoever. Uh, I love James Gunn. I love no. what he's done with Guardians. The trailer doesn't do anything for me. Having read the comics, mm. we spoke earlier about how you see them do things in the comics and you just accept it as escapism. Suicide Squad really pushes that to a limit. Right? <laughs> King Shark, it, he's, a, he's a whole ass shark up top. Right, you know, you have other characters in there like Orca. You see characters like Deadshot blowing the teammates away at a moment's notice. The Suicide Squad comics, in in a way, highlight the ridiculousness of comics and the idea that when somebody's dead, oh, don't worry, they'll be back in a few weeks' time. There's always sort of been that thinly veiled jab at, at the state of of comics by Suicide Squad, and they're brilliant comics to read. However they're always comprised of characters that are going to be very difficult to introduce to the big screen. Now, one thing David Ayer did very well, in my opinion, was select a good group of characters. You know, Harley Quinn was always going to be in there, and there's reasons why, because of her ties to the wider DC universe. Deadshot was your leading man, and I still think Will Smith was a great a great person for that. Captain Boomerang, lots of comic relief. Killer Croc's your muscle and does a similar thing. El Diablo was your, he added a lot of heart and soul to that team in a way. And it could have been done better, but that was the sort of purpose of, of his character. And then Katana's there to watch his back. But then the, <laughs> the but, but one thing James Gunn, I think, has gone balls to the wall on. And he did it, he did it with Guardians, although I think to a lesser extent. And he will always have my respect for doing it is that he has taken characters who you probably couldn't even call D-list villains, and he's chucking them into this movie. And we all know ahead of time that a good chunk of them is going to be cannon fodder, right? Harley Quinn is quite obviously holding Javelin's Javelin in the the scene at the end of the trailer, which obviously is a prelude to the fact that that, that team shot we see of the new team means they're all going to die in the first few minutes. Sorry for spoilers, but trust me, guys, this is what's going to happen, right? So he's obviously stacking the team with characters that he can kill off. That's fine. That's what the Suicide Squad does. But I worry about the rewatchability of the film. Mm-hmm. Are we going to find Polka Dot Man and his gags really that funny on a second way round? And I think David Ayer picked a team that is much more accessible, but ultimately suffered on the writing front. Whereas I think James Gunn, Will, will shoot a very funny film that won't last on a second or a third rewatch. John's not sure. John's not sure whatsoever. <laughs> if the trailer's anything to go by, I don't think it's going to be my kind of humour. Mm. Because it, it felt very juvenile, the kind of jokes that were in the trailer. And maybe, maybe that's just James Gunn's style. I mean... It's been a while since I've rewatched Super, for example, so maybe that's not going to resonate with me so much anymore. Have you seen the trailer, Sam? Yeah, I've seen the trailer. Thoughts? I know we're digressing <laughs> a bit, but we're two, we're two and a half hours in anyway. I, I, I feel similar to you guys. I'm just a bit mid on it. It looked fine. Nothing really in there that grabbed me as such. No. 
I, I don't know whether they should have shown King Shark just yet because his CG looked a bit I don't think he's incomplete. finished, is he? I would have waited on that. And maybe I'll get some flack for this, but I feel like even though King Shark is such an integral part in like the animated series and in the, in the New 52 like, run of, um, of Suicide Squad, I don't know if it's just because it's James Gunn, but in my mind it feels like they're having that kind of character in there so they can have their own kind of Groot kind of character, yeah, and I uh, maybe I'm I'm gonna get like beaten up in the streets for saying that, but it just feels like they're having that. I don't think that side character that is very limited in what they can express and say. And again, it might just because it's James Gunn, but when I watched that trailer, I just thought, yeah, the guy who's doing Guardians of the Galaxy is now doing the same thing with the Suicide Squad, and that might work for a lot of people, but for me, I, it wasn't what. I was expecting when he signed up because James Gunn's capable of doing different kinds of films. We've seen that, like you say, with mm. Super and um, with Sliver as well. He's he's capable of doing different things. So I, I, I don't know whether it was the right decision to get similar to with Weed and coming off Justice League. Is it the right decision to have a DC, a Marvel director to come and do a DC thing? I'm not saying that they can't swap over and do these different projects because that's just the nature of filmmaking in itself. But I, I don't know. It didn't really grab me, and I'd I'd love to be proven wrong and be biting my words when the film comes out. But as it stands, the first trailer just hasn't hooked me. I think I think you're perfectly right on the King Shark point because the version of King Shark that they've used. Um, you mentioned there the the animated series, but for anyone who hasn't, who doesn't know, the DC animated universe movies are absolutely incredible. You know that they're, they're incredible art style. They they tell great plot stories. Flashpoint is is one such example. I think Superman Batman Apocalypse is another one. Uh, Justice League Doom, just to throw a couple off the top of my head. The version of King Shark that it appears they're implementing. Already, you can see the group parallel. You know him, him holding his hand up and saying "hand" clearly shows that we're looking either at a, a King Shark that has a low communication level, or just a low sense of intelligence. Very similar to a, you know, maybe a, a talking tree that can only say three words. You know, the parallels are there already. Had they gone out and used a version of King Shark from, say, Assault on Arkham, who's a little bit more evil in nature and forms a close bond with i think it might be live wire in that movie i can't i can't quite remember who it is but forms a close bond almost like a, a team bond there to sort of develop the communication issue then I'd, I'd be a little bit on board but he does feel quite quite ham-fisted in a way i think the other shame is if they've gone for king shark just to have a an anthropomorphic brute why not use killer croc because killer croc in recent storylines has had some really interesting bits. So, for example, in one storyline, I say quite recently, I think it was over five years ago now, he was uh, a, a reforming Red Arrow's counsellor. You know, why not look to introduce a killer croc who maybe is ready and serving on the team to genuinely try and do a little bit of good? Not so much there as, as team leader, but almost to help keep the others in line and to keep his moral compass in the right direction, you know? to swap out your brute character to introduce another one for, for, for what I assume is going to be comic relief. I'm not, I'm not so sure it's the right play, to be honest. I think you're absolutely right with your comparisons to, to Groot, and it's it's one of my concerns too. 
as you say, the trailer didn't do anything for me either. Like I say, my concerns are with the humour for a start. I've got no doubt that the visuals are going to be good. They're going to be serviceable. James Gunn, is he seems like a fantastic director. He seems, although there's some questionable things he's said on Twitter in the past, he seems like a decent enough guy. Um, he seems to have calmed down, at least in terms of, of those sorts of things. Um, and also what, what gives me a little bit of hope is that he's worked with Zach before. Um, it actually dawned on me, no pun intended, when I was watching Dawn of the Dead. He wrote the screenplay for Dawn of the Dead which Zach directed. So they've they've worked together before and the Stone Quarry are producing or executive producing the Suicide Squad and they, they also executive produced Wonder Woman 84. So I think even if the Snyderverse doesn't continue, I don't think they're going to get rid of Zach anytime soon in terms of the DC project. He's, he seems to be involved. And even if he doesn't necessarily want to come back and direct the projects, I really hope the HBO Max, AT&T, Warner Brothers, C-Sense, and at least greenlight the remaining projects just to bring the story to a suitable close. Whether that be in miniseries form, whether it be in an actual film, I don't really care. Like, honestly, the limit, it, it, the possibilities are endless when it comes to streaming platforms, as we've discussed. We live in a culture now of, of, of binging. So you can drop what would appear to have been a four-hour movie in segments. It's, that's something we didn't really touch on, actually. But obviously, Zack Snyder's Justice League initially was going to be dropped as a miniseries in six parts, I believe, which is still how it's cut up. It's still chaptered. It's just one presentation. But there's nothing stopping people from watching it in parts as you would a miniseries. And I think the same can be done now. All you need now is like a play-all button on your streaming platforms. And it's the same as watching a long film. But for those who don't want to commit to a long film, you can binge and achieve the exact result. And I think with some of the perhaps lower budget projects, that I don't know whether the the concern is that it wouldn't make back the budget or whatever, stuff like a small-scale Deathstroke movie by... Um, Gavin, Gareth, Gavin, can't remember. It was the guy who directed the Raid, uh, by the way. I can't remember Gareth his name right now. Gareth Edwards, I want to say. I always get, I always get him confused with Evans. It's Evans. It's Evans. It's Evans. Are we it sure? Evans. <laughs> Edwards is Godzilla. Right, there we go. Yeah. We got there. It's Gareth Evans. So yeah, there was meant to be an origin story for Deathstroke, and it was going to be really small scale, as far as I'm aware, only like an 80 million, 90 million dollar movie, which you know, it's such a small budget for one of these properties. That could very easily be released on HBO Max. And no disrespect to him, but Joe Manganello, he's not he's not a big leading man. So it's the kind of thing that I think would be suitable. I think you would probably struggle having a Ben Affleck Batman film on a streaming platform initially. But with the way things are going with HBO Max and they're doing the simultaneous releases of, of theatrical films on their streaming platform, we're living in a time where you can have your cake and eat it too. And and like you said earlier on the show, Sam, they would be absolute morons not to capitalise on what is currently bubbling under the surface. I think I think even if I asked my mum, she would know what Zack Snyder's <laughs> Justice League is. And that's I think a lot of it comes from word of mouth. And I think 
we already touched on it previously that the fact that they'd been trying to bury Zack Snyder's Justice League for so long and now they've released it and it's been a huge crescendo and obviously they still haven't really publicly acknowledged anything I don't I don't I just feel like this isn't the end of it and just swinging back around onto the, the Suicide Squad I'd like to think that there is something else to that movie. I'd like to think that there is some sort of connective tissue that we're not anticipating. That's wishful thinking, I know. But I like to think that there is a little bit of honour amongst these directors to a certain extent. And because James Gunn and, and Zack Snyder have worked together previously, and obviously because Zack and Debbie are producing, that there is still going to be a level of continuity. That's my dream, anyway. Mm. like it. You mentioned... Um... Wonder Woman 84 in there John and I think mm, to, to, to I provide my own segue Sam I think you've <clears> got <throat> some comments that you want to make about a certain Amazonian and, a, and an inconsistent <sighs> palace that you, you sort of alluded to us before the recording started oh. so I'm interested Go. <laughs> I mean I'll, I'll keep it brief because obviously we've been going for quite a while now we'll be into the third hour of Justice League soon <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, just in regards to continuity and having this wider universe, in Wonder Woman 84, like I said earlier, I, I had issues with that because it already felt like on that movie, Warner Brothers were trying to course correct the Snyderverse, as you will, and interfere with Patty Jenkins' kind of approach to the character with it. Because the whole, the whole idea of her in Batman vs Superman is that she's been away from humanity for 100 years or so because she's seen horrors and and whatnot, as she, as she puts it in the movie. In Wonder Woman 84, I know you've not seen it, but she's very much... Somebody I was speaking to on Twitter the other day actually said that Wonder Woman 84 is more of a Superman film than it is a Wonder Woman film, in the element that Wonder Woman is very much in the public eye, doing Superman kind of things, being that kind of hero that is that is the beacon of hope kind of thing. And I don't think it works in that movie, because... It just goes against everything that's set up in BVS and in Justice League. I mean, I know in Justice League she's operating again in the public mm. eye, but you had the information of why she's doing that to get to that place. In Woman Eighty Four as well, like she's got abilities that are never seen in any other films. Like I know, I know in the comics that she can swing on lightning with the lasso of truth. I know that she can fly to an extent, and I, I, you don't see these things in the other films. So why so is this... she not? Oh. Go on, finish your point. Sorry. No, no. I was just gonna say it's just frustrating to see them set up ideas that aren't present in other movies because then it it's frustrating. It's frustrating. It damages the con. It's frustrating. It the continuity of the other movies because she's not using these abilities or displaying these character traits in a timeline that's set after Woman Wonder Woman eighty four. She's not displaying any of these things. That that's what frustrated me anyway. The movie has got a myriad of other problems that you could get into, but that's just that's just one of the things for me. <laughs> that's another show. Yeah, I've read enough of the plot to to justify never watching it, um, which I think is is a justice decision of my own. Talking about power set continuity, there's always going to be a struggle. It's something that's been a struggle in comic books for years and years. Uh, it's something that I would be more accepting of if we weren't two movies into Wonder Woman solos. Yes, she's mm. had appearances in BVS, 
yes, she was a, a, a sort of a, a main character in, in Justice League, but we're not we're not twelve movies in to this universe. You know, they really need to set a tone for continuity. I think power set there's always some justification. I don't know if it's explored in Wonder Woman eighty four. Um, and, and as far as I'm aware, it's not explored in in Wonder Woman. Is that it's it's more more accepted at the minute that she's actually a daughter of Zeus as well, and that her parents are Zeus and uh, I can't think of the name. Is it Hippo- Hippolyta? Yeah, I think it is yeah. Hippolyta, Queen of the Amazons. Now, that obviously gives you an out for your lightning based swinging and stuff like that, but you've got to explain it. You can't just have it happen. It's the same with the flight. You can have her fly. That's not a problem. But you need to provide some sort of explanation for it. It's not like Superman, where it's just accepted. And he did it as part of a big set piece. And it became a big part of the character. Wonder Woman just appearing to fly is, is an issue. It's The comics are very grey on this as well. Some writers depict her as flying. Other writers depict her as not. I mean, I think as a, as recent as two or three years ago, she was depicted as being something like six, six fastest in the DC comics. Um, she was certainly top ten. Six, six might be wrong, but she was certainly top ten. And Cheetah was up there right at the front. Cheetah was in like third or fourth. Now, power power level scale, that's not a problem. That particular writer has decided that that's that's the speed his speedsters run at while he's heading the flashbooks. That's not a problem. But to but that you know they released that infographic to justify it. What did Wonder Woman eighty four do to justify this sliding power scale? From what I've heard, not much. Um, and and it, it like I say, it's one of the many problems that I've heard about, and and one of the reasons why I probably won't watch. I'll watch the film when it comes on for free. Like, that's, <laughs> that's the nature of it. <laughs> it's it's out on DVD and Blu ray as of this week, I think. I'll, I'll wait for it to be on like Channel Four. Channel Four. I've entered a competition on HMV. <laughs> if I if I win it, then I'll watch it again. If I don't win it, I will never watch it again. There you go. Yeah. I did put a question out on Twitter actually asking people if they could greenlight any DC production type to go ahead right now. What would it be? And people's answers we've had: Reese saying, even though I didn't like the scene at the end of Justice League. I am curious to see what a full nightmare film would be. Also, Reese knows. Ben... <laughs> also, Ben Affleck's Arkham Asylum Batman film, please. Uh, he said, he please. said please. Nick put, just give me the Batman film we're supposed to get. As unimaginative as it is, something Arkham Asylum based with Harley as your main antagonist. Tom put, simply, Man of Steel 2, let's go. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Jordan King put uh, Guillermo del Toro's Justice League Dark definitely would be something he would green like. Yeah. That was supposed to happen at one point. We never got it. it. Uh, Aaron says it would have f- to be. I feel like um, with Guillermo del Toro, his projects are constantly getting shit canned, shafted. <laughs> like he 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 signs on to do all sorts of things. And they never seem to really come to fruition the way hmm. they're supposed to. I love him as a director, but I I would actually prefer for him to stick to his own his own original projects. Mm-hmm. And as as beautiful as I think his Justice League Dark would be, 
if he came back to do that, we would never see the movie. <laughs> Aaron says, it would be nice to have a second Man of Steel. I feel that the character hasn't got the time he deserved across the bigger films. So it would be nice to have a film centered around his character than just his acts, which I kind of get. Uh, Jump mm-hmm. Online Editor-in-Chief Fiona says, set it on fire. Fiona, we're going to have words. I'm gonna. Do you know what? <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna re. I'm gonna get a Twitter account for Fiona. I'm a tweet. Yeah, we're gonna have words. <laughs> this is a constructive environment, Fiona, not a destructive <laughs> environment. Right. And accompanying Jump. that tweet is a, a gif of a girl setting a house on fire. Oh, sure. <laughs> uh, John, go. Go on. One DC movie to greenlit. Sam, I'm coming to you after. The anticipated Green Lantern oh. Corps. Ooh. Nice. Sam? An intergalactic Superman movie. I see the cogs turning. <laughs> okay. <laughs> if you want, do you want specific? Uh, Under the Red Hood. Under now the Red Hood. Be... Oh, they could do on. Under the Red Hood because he's put the beats already in place for it. Oh. can do under the red hood if he changes his mind about it being Jason Todd who's mm. dead not Dick, not Dick Grayson yeah no, and, and do you remember do you remember when those fan theories were going around that Joker was Jason Todd fa- I genuinely <sighs> believed it was going to happen you know that theory's come back around now with the nightmare sequence at the end of Justice League people think that the Joker in that timeline is Jason Todd corrupted I mean I was against it initially but I think now knowing Knowing the way Zack Snyder's Justice League played out, knowing that it's an Elseworlds type thing, and also it's kind of a reference to Batman Beyond: Return of the Joker. Yeah, do it. It was Tim. It was, t- it was Fuck Tim it, Drake it. in that timeline, wasn't it? Was, it? Yeah, it was Tim yeah. Drake. But obviously, we're we we only have so much time. I, I can't imagine. <sighs> this is the sad thing. I don't think films will ever do these comic book characters justice. But we need something that has a similar scale and budget to films to be able to to no pun intended do them justice you know if you want a batman property if you want something that has all of the bat family in it's just never going to work as as it being a film series and i think that that's the sad truth and it it goes for a lot of these characters too i guess that would make sense as to why they were going to do a green lantern tv show or still are going to do a green lantern tv show instead of a film because if you want to have a film centered on more than one green lantern Obviously, it's just going to become insanely convoluted, and you're you're not going to have a protagonist. Whereas the series, and maybe I'm completely going off on a tangent here, but maybe the Suicide Squad would be better suited to a TV show as well, or at least some sort of ongoing or long form storytelling. Yeah. And this is where I think the animated movies have got a place as well, because in the animated movies they can, because they're so much cheaper to make. And because your voice cast, I imagine, is is where you get your big billing, you can drop your your whole Bat family in. You know, and I've, I mentioned earlier to you guys, mm-hmm. I'm currently going for a Young Justice season three. Now, what a goddamn TV show! You know, in, I, I was texting a friend the other day. In the last episode I watched, I had uh, Batman fighting Bane, Katana dueling Lady Shiva, and Deathstroke duking it out with Metamorpho on the beach of Santa Prisca before an oracle piloted batwing shot up the place 
and then metamorpho like zoomed them back on the ship to escape right absolutely insane you could never do that in a live action movie it just wouldn't work and this is where i think animated films along with long format tv like you've said john tie in with big blockbusters and let you explore these universes more and more but there needs to be some level of cohesion amongst them i think i think to touch on what you're saying you're never going to see that in movies we saw a lot of weird shit in endgame but the difference is we had 20-odd films leading you up to it, which unfortunately the DC as it stands, DCEU as it stands, doesn't have that luxury. So you can't throw in these incredibly bombastic moments with the whole Bat family or whatever and expect them not to get a lot of scratching heads as a, as a sort of response to it. So I think that's that's just the unfortunate truth at the moment is you can't have everything so they have to be really selective and i think if dc are going to be selective about what properties they continue with why not continue with the snyderverse mm -hmm. there's obviously an appetite for it there's an audience waiting us three we're we're just the tip of the tip of the tip of the iceberg as to the sort of anticipation to what could come and personally i'm not asking for all of the previous projects to be put back into production personally speaking as it stands at the moment i don't need a solo cyborg movie i don't even need a solo flash movie if i had to drop everything else just to get the continuation of Zack snyder's justice league trilogy i would that's all i want and i think it does harken back to that sense of continuity because the flash is so up in the air in terms of its continuity and the future DC projects, they're, they're kind of in this limbo where they can exist in Zack Snyder's continuity, but they also don't in the same way. Like Even Zack has said that those movies exist in the Justice League continuity, but again, it's all up in the air. I at least want the end of that continuity, definitively, because obviously Zack Snyder's Justice League is technically the end of a trilogy. I want the end of that trilogy as well. I don't think it's too much to ask, and I think it is a possibility. But I said before, I don't know whether Zach is going to direct it. He doesn't need to direct it, but I want him to oversee it at least. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I guess for my kind of closing thoughts, then <clears throat> I want to go back to that feeling that I had with Man of Steel, where I thought they're doing something new with these comic book films, and the filmmaker-driven. And they've got a different vision, they've got different aesthetics, and there's more focus on that as opposed to the kind of blueprint. I want them to go forward with that vision again, because I've always thought that the DCEU, although we like focus on the Snyderverse, that it has been a very filmmaker-driven universe. That's always how it was pitched as yeah. well. Yeah. And I know that Marvel have got great directors as well that have stepped in to make those films, but they are very much, as I say not to the director's detriment, they are working within a mandate of sorts that Marvel want to appeal to. Whereas I've always thought that the DCU's kind of had a bit more leeway in that regard. And I'd like to see more of that continue. And I definitely, I don't think it needs to be said, I definitely want to see the Snyderverse be concluded, even if they don't want to take it any further, mm. resolve this storyline. Because I, I feel like the scale of what he proposed in those storyboards... It, Although some of the character choices might not be amazing, admittedly, 
he can change those and he he has like you said earlier he has changed those storyboards and we haven't seen them so that begs to see whether there is talks going on behind the scenes i just want to see a resolvement of that art in an ideal world i'd get another superman movie as well because i just love henry cavill in that role and if you gave me a superman movie that had like the kryptonian heritage and the sun guard row and how that's a deity for superman's powers i would lose my shit but just Mm. resolve these stories give it the send if they're going to kind of send off these characters if you will send it off properly and send it off in a satisfying way yeah i'll watch a one hour 360 rotation of the future flash armor let's make it happen (laughs) (laughs) that suit is pretty nice Uh, it's off the chain absolutely off the chain i've just hit five thousand on my garage band and i think you were just wrapping up so um what i will say it's been an absolute pleasure to be on uh it's really good to get to get get involved yeah, with this sort of stuff as always uh good luck editing this Sam. yeah you, you yeah you're gonna have you there's there's some sound bites in here for sure <laughs> <laughs> i guess as well what i do want to say before we do wrap up um as always with jumpcast we always support our patreon subscribers so I'd just like to shout those out. These are subscribed at the Only God Forgives tier. All, uh, Only God Subscribes tier, I, I must add. All our Patreon tiers are Ryan Gosling themed. Uh, so the top <laughs> tier is uh, Only God Subscribes. So we've got Chris Wilson, Enon Films, Zoe Baines, Dal Griffith, Sam Luck, Ola Smith, Peter Hodgkins, Andy Meakin, Fabiona Rosas, Hamish Calvert, Martin Richmond, Manuel Bento and Robert Denny. Thank you for your support. It makes episodes like this where we can talk about the DCU at extreme lengths possible. And I can't thank you <laughs> enough for that. Uh, and before we do that, is there anything you guys would like to plug? It doesn't have to be a specific film or whatever. There's anything that's going on that you'd like to plug. Keep an eye on Hench and Saunters on mm-hmm. YouTube. Going to be trying to breathe some new life into that channel. Um, but in the meantime, go back, watch some of the old videos, give us a thumbs up, give us a drop us some comments. I'm still active on there, even if I'm not uploading videos. Um, potentially watch this space for a monthly podcast with me and Rob and special guests. Yeah, big up, big up to the both organisations involved in this. Obviously, Sam, you do doing huge things at Jump Cut that I know me and John are both really proud of, and uh, I know we're both really excited to see John back making some videos as well. So. Mm-hmm. Big, big respect to, and obviously everyone supported as well. And thank you for listening. If you've got to, to what, what are we at now, two hours and forty five minutes <laughs> into to these dulcet tones, then then big thank you for listening. Appreciate it. Yeah, much appreciated. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I guess that's it then for this absolute mammoth of a podcast. Uh, again, I'd just like to thank you both for joining me, and I uh, will see you again soon. Bye bye.